Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. It is a privilege to be here with you all. Thank you for allowing us to come and share this morning. Um, I'm really excited to dive into this text. You can see the title slide there, In Christ, Saved to Flourish. This was a, a message that I got to preach a few months ago. And so the whole idea summed up in Ephesians 1. There's a lot of ways to think about it because it's a really rich, rich, uh, Ephesians is really rich. And then Ephesians 1 especially is, is a rich, rich chapter. Um, but to sum it up, the idea of in Christ, saved to flourish. That's something you can kind of keep in mind as, as we walk through this together. Um, as you might've already realized, as Jason read the passage this morning, this is a message on prayer, but don't tune me out right away, okay? You've probably heard a few messages on prayer. Um, I have a couple questions for you. First of all, how many of you have heard a message on prayer this past year? You can raise your hand. So pretty close to the majority of you have heard a message on prayer. How many of you in this room feel like you have a regular, life-giving, spirit-filled prayer life? Anyone? Okay, that's good. Thanks for being bold. I appreciate that. That, that not a whole lot of hands went up on that second question. So that is normal. Praying is hard. Sometimes it comes really easily, but often it is hard. Um, prayer can be so sweet and life-giving, but as I said, it can be difficult and it can be really dry at times. So the good news about this message is that whether you have a fantastic prayer life or you're just limping along, attempting to communicate with God, we have an opportunity this morning to allow God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit to transform our prayers. I don't know about your kids, but no matter how many times we've tried to teach our kids how to pray when they're young, uh, their prayers can come out sounding a bit strange. Can you relate to that? Um, For us, many of our kids' prayers can sometimes start with a, a word or phrase like, God for Lord, um, and then they, they often go on to ask God for something, right, to make a request. And while our prayers may not start out like that, God for Lord, um, oftentimes, uh, in reality, our prayers uh, are a lot similar to our kids. They're not a whole lot different. And the reason for that, what, what kinds of things are our prayers filled with most often? It's probably most often requests, right? We ask God for stuff. Requests for things we need or for the needs of others, um, stuff like health, finances, maybe relationships that are struggling. There are many places in the Bible where we see the importance of bringing our requests to God for these sorts of things. There's nothing at all wrong with doing this. God cares deeply for our needs. He wants to provide us for us as our loving Father. He's our good shepherd. But if this is the only way we pray— We are missing out on something so much more rich and deep. We have a tendency to treat our prayer lives like a transaction. Many of you in the business world probably understand the idea of a transaction, right? But it's pretty simple. If I put a request in, then I should get a response out from God. We treat God like a cosmic vending machine. I have to confess, this way of praying is much closer to how I often approach God than the model we see in this passage. 
a few months ago when I was preaching uh, in French, preaching this passage uh, in, in Lyon, um, the Holy Spirit really started to work in my heart and convicted me of the reality that this is how I often approach God. I often approach him like a cosmic vending machine. I get, get a dollar bill out, get my card out, tap it on the, the machine, and then voila, I should get something out that I, that I ordered. But that's a pretty stale or hollow experience of prayer and, and communication with God. So what Paul shows us instead in this passage is a pathway to experiencing God through prayer in a much more rich and satisfying way. I want to encourage you that this way of praying can lead to flourishing in the life of the church. This way of praying can lead to gospel transformation. As we walk through this text, I would ask that you consider how praying like this would transform your church body. What would gospel community church look like if this culture of prayer was regularly present, both corporately as a body, but also individually in families, in your time with the Lord? What would it look like? So think on that. Let me get a drink of water really quick. So the outline for this passage is three points. Three things to consider as we walk through. First of all, pray with thankfulness, verses 15 and 16. Secondly, pray for knowledge, verses 17 through 19. And finally, pray in worship, verses 20 through 23. There's a French pastor who has written a great commentary on Ephesians. Uh, that's often not the case. There's not a lot of resources in French. So anytime there's, there's a good resource, uh, as we've been walking through different, different sermon series back in Lyon, we try to really highlight uh, French theologians or pastors who are doing good work. Um, and so there's, there's a guy named Dominique Angers. He's French. He's now actually in Quebec teaching at a seminary. But he's got a great um, way of summing this passage up, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. He says, focus our prayer requests on spiritual progress, not just on life circumstances. So keep that in mind as we continue. The first thing we see in verses 15 and 16 is Paul is expressing his great thankfulness for the Ephesians. Pray with thankfulness. Paul starts verse 15 with a phrase, for this reason. When we see a phrase like this, it is important to ask the question, for what reason? What's he talking about? What is Paul referencing? Paul is relating the first part of chapter one to what he's about to say in this, in this passage. Again, uh, let me just read uh, Ephesians 1.3. You can maybe flip over or just go to the beginning of the chapter 1. But it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So that's a good way to kind of summarize what's going on in this verses 3 through 14, right before we get into our passage. Um, again, this, this uh, French pastor, Dominique Angers, uh, I want to return to him. He gives us kind of a good idea of providing the context of what we see here. Paul prays that the blessings in verses 3 through 14 will be made even more concrete and stronger in the lives of the Ephesians. Paul wants Christians to appropriate their blessings. And he prays with this objective in mind. So that's what this prayer is all about. What is Paul thankful for, though? Let's read verses 15 and 16 to hear again what Paul wants to underline about prayer. For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
Paul is continually praying in thanks because of the faith and love that the Ephesian church had for all the saints. With that little phrase, all the saints, what does that mean? In this context, Paul is referring to the Jews and Gentiles. The theme of unity in the body of Christ is something that comes out over and over again in the letter to the Ephesians. The Ephesians apparently had been living out the gospel in very concrete ways. Scotty Smith, he's a, he's a pastor here in the U.S., he says this about Ephesians 1.15. What the Ephesians were learning about Jesus and experiencing in him compelled them to have love for all the saints, Jewish and Gentile converts alike. Their faith expressed itself in love, and their love was a validation of the faith they professed. Let me read that last sentence again. Their faith expressed itself in love, and their love was a validation of the faith they professed. So if you consider the culture here at Gospel Community Church, could these two words be said of you? Are you marked by faith that works itself out in love? Let me read that again. If you consider the culture here at Gospel Community Church, could these two words be said of you? Are you marked by faith that works itself out in love? How is a thriving, flourishing church culture created? It is created through a discipline of habits that reflect our love for God and our love for others. In verse 16, Paul did not stop thanking God and praying for the Ephesians. This was a habitual prayer for Paul, and it should encourage us to pray regularly with immense gratitude for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Praying consistently in this way, um, praying consistently in this way will lead us to great things in the local church. We can be confident of this. God wants to transform the church through prayer. Let's get a little more concrete as we consider how to put this prayer into practice in everyday life. It's easy to kind of talk. This is a beautiful prayer from Paul, but it can be a little bit more difficult to figure out what what does this actually mean to pray with thankfulness. So um, who has experienced conflict in the church? Is anybody? Yeah? I know I have. Um, It's pretty normal, right? It's a normal aspect of church life. It's not something to to necessarily worry about because if you have a healthy church culture, it's going to happen. And the reason for that is we're all sinful, right? None of us are perfect. And so when you experience conflict, um, it's, it's a part of normal church life. But when is it most important to have our faith worked out in love? One of the most obvious opportunities to put that into practice is when there is conflict, right? When things are really hard and you're not getting along with somebody. Um, One thing that God has revealed to me over and over again as I mature as a Christ follower is that when I experience conflict with my wife, with my kids, as they cause trouble in the front row, or, uh, or in a church setting where with other leaders, we don't necessarily agree on something, right? Sometimes that can be really hard. It can be frustrating cause anxiety. But the good news, one way we can put this passage into practice is that if when this happens, when a conflict occurs, if I pray in thanksgiving for the person who I'm having conflict, I can no longer be sinfully angry at that person. I can still be frustrated perhaps, but that sinful anger that's going on kind of disappears. And why is that? God begins to transform my thoughts and emotions. If I really take the time to pray 
for this person and specifically name the ways I'm thankful for them, seeing them as an image bearer of God. What happens? Um, I'm not so worried about the issue anymore. I see them as a God-made person. And so I can instead turn my focus to loving that person, appreciating who God's made them to be, because they're made in the image of God. And that's way more important than being right about a situation or a conflict. Um, So again, I want to ask you another question. As we think about putting this into practice in a conflict situation, how would praying this way in moments of conflict impact how we relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ? What does that look like? Remember, going back to the quote I shared already, remember what Paul is trying to help us with. The point of what Paul is modeling is to bring focus to our prayers on spiritual progress, not just on life circumstances. Life circumstances are important, but if we're praying that they, the person in front of us who we're having conflict with is being changed by Christ, we pray in thankfulness for that person, God is going to work in those situations. So we can have confidence in that, and that will change our, our whole mode of, of, of living. Paul begins his prayer by expressing his gratitude for the church in Ephesus, but he then enters into the most profound part of his prayer. In verses 17 through 19, Paul prays that they will have more knowledge. This prayer for knowledge is enveloped by language that beautifully emphasizes the Trinitarian nature of the Godhead. Those are some big words, Trinitarian nature of the Godhead, but they're really, really important and impactful as we think about how can we model our prayer lives um, after Paul. So let me read verse 17 for you. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so, so that you may know him better. See what's going on here? See what I mean? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would give the Ephesians wisdom and revelation so that they would know God better. Pay attention to what is happening in this verse. We can know God because of the wisdom and revelation of the Spirit. That is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. God reveals himself to us through the powerful work of the Spirit. But this idea of revelation, it can get kind of scary. It's hard to understand what what does revelation mean? But in this context, in this passage, it's not meaning that Paul is asking for some special revelation, something out of the ordinary. What is really happening is that Paul in this passage is asking that the Ephesians would have insight. Jesus underscores the same thing. Look at John 14, 26 with me. If you want to open your Bibles or turn there on your phone, whatever you prefer. But John 14, 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Teach you, remind you. That's what it means to have insight. Paul, again, makes this point in 1 Corinthians 2.12. I'll give you a second to turn there. First Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, 
that we might understand the things freely given to us, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So we see in this passage and throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit is active in the life of the believer to give knowledge and wisdom so that we can know God better. Knowing God is the basis of our salvation. John 17, verse 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what it means to know Christ. That's what it means to be saved. But we need to think about what knowledge really means from the point of view of the Bible. Because in our Western, postmodern culture, we can easily get this wrong. Let me share an illustration that may help clear this up. A few months ago, our family visited Paris for the first time. I know it's crazy. We spent seven years in, uh, in France. Lyon's only two hours uh, by the really fast train. But with ministry life the way it is, uh, with kind of the season of life you're in, it was hard to get there all as a family. You know, there's always something kind of getting in the way. But finally, a couple months ago, we were able to visit Paris for the first time. We had to go there because Cora, our youngest daughter, needed her passport renewed. So we were able to visit the, the American embassy there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's cool, huh, Cora? So, um, you know, w- w- the thing for Cora that she wanted to see above all other things, we we're going to visit some tourist sites, was the Eiffel Tower. So she was really pumped. And uh, her oldest brother, Asher, he's really into history. And so uh, one of the things he was doing, he was showing her photos. He was explaining because he learned in school about who, uh, who helped create the Eiffel Tower, um, the histor- historical timeline and importance of the Eiffel Tower. And so she knew a lot of facts, right? It was pretty clear, like, this is what the Eiffel Tower is. She knew what it looked like. But um, we, we had got an Airbnb. We were like 20 minutes away staying from the Eiffel Tower. So we got on a bus and we were taking this bus down uh, closer and closer to the Eiffel Tower, and then we turned a corner, and Cora had been really excited, but as soon as she saw it in person, we weren't even right next to it like we are in this photo. It was a few minutes earlier. We were still on the bus, but she could see it out the window. She literally let out a streak of joy. It was like, ah, it's the Eiffel Tower, right? So um, it was really cool to, to see that and experience Paris through, through their eyes and through Cora's eyes in this particular instance, but um, this kind of illustration uh, helps us to kind of realize how oftentimes how, how we experience God. Our experience of God is too often kind of stale and lame, right? It's, we know a bunch of stuff about God. We have an understanding, but there's not that ecstatic joy that we experience in a situation like this. So this situation, you know, it was fun, but um, knowing God is something far, far different. This is just a little picture of what really knowing God is all about. Um, Paul is praying that the Ephesians' knowledge of God would lead to experiencing God in a full and deeply personal way. To know God in the Bible is to be in a personal relationship with him. It is to experience a certain closeness and intimacy. There's only one, there's only, it's only possible when God reveals himself through his spirit. So this statement summarizes this idea for us. Not knowledge as something stale and theoretic, but as something living and personal. Knowledge in the Bible and in this passage equals a personal relationship with God that is transformational. Let me read that one more time. Knowledge equals a personal relationship with God that is transformational. Many of us in this room have been Christians probably for a long time. 
that means we likely have a pretty good theology. I'm sure you, you are oftentimes fed theologically um, as you come here on a regular basis. But what we can often miss out on as mature Christians in this quest to grow in knowledge is the rich experience of a relationship with God. We all know the right things, but those things do not always lead us to a changed life. But the more we really know God, the more we experience God in his fullness and his glory, that brings change that transforms us. That relationship with God uh, completely changes who we are. So as we move into verses 18 and 19, we see Paul explaining and going into more detail about what knowing God means by giving more detail about his prayers for them. Verses 18 and 19. First of all, he prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Paul builds on what he said in verse 17, that the Holy Spirit gives Christians wisdom and revelation. This is something that we continue to need as Christians all of our lives. Without this illuminating work of the Spirit, we have no hope that we can know God. If you want to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, um, we see what happens before the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. In this passage, Paul's explaining the work of the Holy Spirit and what happens when people don't have the Holy Spirit. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The Holy Spirit gives sight to the blind. This is part of our spiritual development, our spiritual sanctification. As we grow up into Christ, we see things as God sees them. We have the eyes and mind of Christ. The next part of the passage, the next phrase I want to key on, on, in order that you may know, and then Paul lists three things. And these things are things that we can only know by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. First of all, the hope to which he has called you. Throughout the Bible, we are called to many things as believers, right? Loving our neighbor, sometimes to suffer. We're called to make disciples. The list is fairly long of what we're called to. One of the beautiful aspects of this specific call that we see in this passage is that it is based on hope. All these calls are really based on hope, but this is really the key in in this particular uh, verse. Um, Hope in God does not disappoint because it is based on Christ's finished work for us. That means we have a secure foundation. Christ is our rock. Again, we see the next phrase, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Paul is linking this idea to what he said previously in verses 13 and 14 in chapter 1 of Ephesians. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Part of our identity in Christ is that a bountiful, beautiful inheritance awaits us in heaven along with all the saints. Remember the idea in this context, in this uh, letter to the Ephesians, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles and the unity of the body of Christ. So this is something one day in heaven we're going to be experiencing with all the saints. We have an inheritance. But 
part of the good news of the gospel. We live in the already and not yet. So that means on this earth, we can have a foretaste of what it's going to be like in heaven, right? We can experience this beautiful inheritance in part right now. This way of living helps us to live with hope in the midst of the suffering and difficulties of life. Verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. We can often live with a knowledge of God that does not transform us. But what Paul is saying here is that as believers, we have access to the infinite power of God. This power has absolutely no comparison. There is nothing like it. It has the ability to transform us. This isn't anything like we see in the movies. I'm sure you've seen a number of movies where somebody takes a pill or does something, and then all of a sudden they have these incredible powers. But usually those powers don't last very long, right? They're here, and then they go. They're temporary. But what does this say? This incomparably great power for us who believe, it's not temporary. It's guaranteed. It's sure. We don't need to take some pill to access it. All that we need is faith in Christ. And when we have faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He lives inside of us. And that's what, that's what allows us to have access to a magnitude of power we can't comprehend or imagine. So, but how, how can we know this as believers? How can the incomparable great power, God's great power for us, how can we experience that? To answer this question, we go to the last section of uh, this passage, verses 20 through 23. Pray and worship. We can know and experience this incredible power through three events related to the exaltation of Christ. These three events are the proofs of the power of God in action. And these things are what should fill our prayers with praise to Christ. As I mentioned at the beginning of this message, for most of us, praying for specific prayer requests comes pretty easily. If we're going to pray, that's usually what comes out of our mouths, right? We ask God for something um, and expect him to respond. And that's a good thing, but it's not all that we, we can do in prayer. When we try to fill our prayers with other types of things, we can feel stuck or lost. So in this last section, Paul gives us a rich model um, to follow that leads to worship-filled prayers that, that can create flourishing in Christ. In verse 20, the way to sum this up, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What does Paul say about this incredible power in verse 20? He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. It is the same as the mighty force that God displayed when he raised Christ from the dead. This beautiful truth should lead us to fear and worship. God allows us to have access to the same power that he used to raise Christ from the dead. Just hear that for a second. That's incredible. In a way, we can pray in response to that. Glory to God for allowing us to have access to Christ's resurrection power. That's one way you could respond. There's a lot of ways. But second thing I want to, to point out, verse 21, the supreme elevation of Jesus Christ. Christ is now far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. What Paul is describing is the full and entire authority of Christ. Paul does not overlook the importance of the word everything. That's there for a reason. There is no aspect of heaven or earth now or in the future that is not subject to Jesus our King. Because this is true, we can pray with confidence Jesus reigns and nothing can stop him. So our prayer in response to this could look something like, Christ, 
you are worthy of all our praise. Final thing that we can see, verses 22 through 23, as we pray and worship, the sovereignty of Jesus over the church. This idea has probably the greatest impact on us as the body of Christ. What's the position of Christ as we see in this passage? Everything is under his feet. As king, Christ reigns over everything. Christ dominates all things, but he's a good king. So that domination is rich and beautiful. Secondly, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. The church is the body of Christ, which he directs, and which also completely, is completely filled by Christ. It means that we serve the victorious Christ, but it's not something we do alone. It's in relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ as the community of God. We can pray in response to this, Christ, you are our sovereign head, and we joyfully want to submit to you. The fullness of our salvation is found in Christ, and that leads to rich, worship-filled prayers. This passage has a lot of rich, deep language, right? But sometimes it feels a little distant. Like, how could this actually be true? This sounds really great. Sounds beautiful. But what is this actually, how does this actually relate as I go to work tomorrow? Or I've got the kids at home. <laughs> feels like the summer has lasted forever. Uh, what do I do with this, right? Practically, I don't see how worshiping the exalted Christ actually makes a difference in my life. So if you would open to 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's the last passage I want to read to you, last verse. Um, I hope that this will kind of bring light as we want to bring this message to a close this morning. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we fill our minds with these beautiful truths about the glory of Christ, we are no longer blinded. God promises to transform us through the mighty action of the Spirit. And prayer is one of the primary means by which God enables this transformation to take place. As the body of Christ prays in this way, it is sure we will be transformed. So, just want to remind you these three points again. First, pray with thanksgiving, pray with thankfulness, pray for knowledge, and finally, pray in worship to Christ. So one more time, this, this, this uh, quote that I use to kind of summarize this whole passage. Focus our prayer requests on spiritual progress, not just in life circumstances. So before I close, um, I want to do something a little different just to give you a few minutes to put this into practice. Oftentimes, uh, we're really good at talking about the, the habits we want to form, the things we want to do, but we're not always very good at actually putting things into practice, right? I know that's the case for me, um, so I imagine it's probably the case for you as well. So what I wanted to do, instead of just talking about the idea of praying, I would love for you all to pray. So I'm going to read this passage in, in, in a moment one more time, and then we're going to have it up on the screen. But before that, um, I want you to take just like 10 seconds Look around you and find somebody that you can pray this passage for. So it can be somebody you know, maybe it's somebody who's new here that you don't know, but uh, have somebody in mind. So look around, take a second and uh, choose somebody. Do you have that person in your head? Okay. So let me read this passage one more time and then uh, I'll give you a few minutes to, to pray it. You can pray out loud. You can pray in your head, but 
feel free to pray by the power of the Spirit. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, give you a couple minutes. Go ahead and pray this, this prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Ephesians. Lord, I pray that this passage would shape our prayers, um, not just today, not just right now, but the Holy Spirit would come and work in us so that we can pray in thankfulness. We can pray for knowledge that we can experience you in all your fullness and glory. Lord, and that our prayers are driven to worship, that we can exalt Christ as a body and individually. Lord, um, I pray that you would bless this church richly and abundantly, that uh, as they continue, as we share a meal, that, um, that you would be glorified, that your, your body would be built up and encouraged. In your name we pray, amen.